Welcome to the Deskbound Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, David London, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, send me a direct message on Instagram at Deskbound Therapy because I would love to hear your feedback. And please give me a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the episode. What up, guys? Welcome back to episode 15 of the Deskbound Therapy Podcast. Today, I've got a special episode. It's my second live in person episode, and I'm talking with my friend Sophie. And we're going to talk everything about training, nutrition, and performance for the Deskbound. So, she's just going to go ahead, introduce herself, and tell us a little bit about how she got started with her personal fitness journey. Hi, everyone. I'm Sophie. Um, so my personal fitness journey started off when I was young, basically in sports, but um, in high school when I tried to do a uh, um, gym class that they did a lot of weight training, that's when I really got interested in that and then it kind of grew from there. When I was in my second year of university, I started working at the gym at the University of Guelph. I was in the uh, human kinetics program and basically I felt like I wasn't getting enough anatomy and um, information that I needed from that program to really feel like I was in a kinesiology program. So working at the gym helped me kind of jumpstart that and then I started training new, uh, training other students. And I will always remember one of my first clients I had as a personal trainer was a first-year student who was a vegetarian and I asked her what she had prior to our session and she said she had pizza. She had no idea about anything to do with nutrition and I just kind of felt a bit defeated because I felt like I would not be able to help her if this was what her diet was like. So that kind of told me right away that I had more of an interest in nutrition and that aspect. Um, and then I started working with the varsity athletes at the University of Guelph as well and also saw a lot of like um, people that were injured and sick and I knew that it was more than just the time they were training in the gym and there was so much more to it. So that's when I decided to look into naturopathic medicine and I am now in my fourth year at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine and I felt like I could combine nutrition but also a lot of manual therapies that I do which is like acupuncture, cupping, um, full body assessment, physical modalities and it kind of tied everything all together for myself. You know, I find it quite interesting that everyone in this kind of health and fitness industry comes from similar backgrounds. Like, I first started working out in the 11th grade of high school, and I really just started at home. You know, I did, like, P90X, and I, we had a weight fit class in gym, but the teacher yeah. would just kind of sit there, but he wouldn't really tell us what to do. So it's just, like, the strong kids in the class doing bench press with two plates, and then there's, there's me who couldn't even do a single pull-up. And then I just, like, tried to figure things out, but I find it was really difficult at first on your own. And then you bring up the point about nutrition, which is also really important you have no idea what like back then people were talking about how you have to eat every three hours if you wanted to get abs so I would like I would like be the only kid eating in class in high school and I'd be making my own protein bars and just be so concerned about like counting down to the minute to my workout to make sure everything was optimal and really it was just kind of like obviously it was fun and I was learning things but you really complicate things at first you always like oh am I doing the right thing should I like not eat any carbs because this is what I read because it's hard to not be skeptical when you're just getting started with your fitness journey yeah, and like it's so true. You have to go through those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know anything. And I and I didn't know anything for so long. And I'm still learning. But like, for example, I did a you know bikini competition when I was in my third university because I was like, okay, now I want to train so hard. I want to be in the best shape I've ever been. And 
my diet was awful. Like it was absolutely, absolutely awful. And I didn't have any, you know, influence that was positive in my life that was more towards, you know, health. And I was just so, so concerned with how my body was looking rather than how I was feeling. So I really am an advocate for taking the fitness aspect away from just the physical way that you look and more towards how you feel. And so that's why it's a way more of a whole body perspective. And one of my least favorite sayings from the kind of the fitness community is, what is it, gym? So the gym doesn't make your abs kitchen. Uh, abs are built ab in the kitchen. Yeah, abs are built in the kitchen. Yeah, abs are built in the kitchen. So I'm like, what like that just takes away from all the other benefits of diet and it just focuses on like okay so if I go into my kitchen and like make a meal that's like not a lot then I'm going to get abs and get skinny and all this and I really really want to focus on more of like the fact that your diet what you cook in the kitchen makes for strong bones it makes for a great heart health it makes for you know preventative medicine long term and those are really the things that the fitness community should be focusing on and it's really neglected at times i find that's one of the main things like people especially myself like we start with our fitness because the goal was to you know to just get get big and get jacked and then the longer you you have skin in the game you more start to realize like it starts to become that lifestyle and you start to really enjoy it and you start to like like make friends at the gym and you start to train for different reasons. Like there's a big social aspect and I and I really like encourage that to my clients. Like if you've been like kind of not very social all day at work, it's it's actually good for you to mentally take that break and go to the gym after work. Even if you're tired, just like do something is better than nothing and just help get into a routine. I completely agree. Like I when I first moved to Toronto I felt a bit lost because I didn't have that home gym. So when I started working as a strength and conditioning supervisor at the University of Toronto, and that's where I met David, um, I built so much more of that community around me and the community that was way more focused on research, preventative medicine, and more overall health. So what would you say to someone who, who's getting started, right? Because a lot of times they people like having those like number on the scale goal or physical appearance goal. Like what would be a good balance so you're not like focused on just the mindset of how you look but also how you feel? Because it can be really difficult when you're getting started with your fitness journey. Yeah, it's definitely really difficult. And one of the main things I say to people who are getting into it is kind of finding something that you love and finding something that really brings you joy because some people you see are kind of dragging their feet going out for a run and they're like, oh, like I have to go for a run or oh, I have to go to the gym. But there are so, so, so many options out there now in terms of finding a physical modality and finding something physical that is actually fun and somewhat enjoyable for you. So I always say to start with that and then kind of go from there and also to think more long term. I know people have heard it a lot like you know you have to be patient and it takes time but people when they start they want to see the results they want to see those results long term and so I kind of explain things more on a physiological level so after one bout of exercise your body upregulates the glucose receptors in your muscles immediately after that one bout of exercise that's not something that you can see but after that one exercise bout your body is already better at um, regulating your blood sugar and your body is already making those changes but it's happening at a physiological level you can't see it right now but those are positive changes and you it's it's gonna happen eventually but you kind of have to focus on more of 
all those amazing, amazing health benefits that are happening kind of immediately versus just looking at how your body is transforming and waiting for it to transform. And I can definitely see it being pretty frustrating if you don't really focus on those small changes at first, especially when you're, you're trying to build muscle. It can take a long time. And one of the mistakes I made when I was getting started is I didn't know the information I know now of focusing on like learning how to move at first. I was so focused on just, you know, like doing whatever it takes to get the rep and not considering the quality of it. I remember I would be kind of forcing myself to like jump up and do pull-ups and convincing myself that I actually did them instead of like doing the right progressions. Like I didn't know like like you just see people you know in the gym do bench squat deadlift curls and stuff and then and then someone new to the gym like i remember after university like sorry when i joined university it was the first time i went to an actual gym because i just trained in my house so it was like i it totally shifted like the way i trained and i thought that i had to train like everyone else when in reality i wasn't ready for those movements and i find that's it can be hard at first but i find now that i know that movement first approach i really want to share it with the with my clients and with all my followers yeah, I, I totally agree. It takes time. You know, when I always say to people getting started into it, you're going to be so excited because this is something you can be, you know, you see changes. It's amazing. But for myself, like it took me a long time to be able to go into the gym and actually deload my weights and actually not be concerned about how much weight I'm putting on my squat. Um, just be happy that I have the time to get into the gym and that I'm feeling good and I'm not injured. And not being concerned with my perception of what everyone else around me is looking like or lifting. So you have to be aware of that as well. So would you say well, that's one of the main focuses of your training now and that desperate people should focus on is like injury prevention and training for like long-term health? Yeah, absolutely. I, I really feel like when people are asking me like, oh, what's your training like? What's your schedule? I'm like, I'm training maintenance-wise. I'm training for preventing muscle loss, I'm training for bone health, I'm training for all the amazing benefits that come, especially, especially as a female, and as we age, we can lose our muscle mass, I'm prone, very at risk for osteoporosis, so I'm training for those reasons, I'm training to feel good physically, I'm training for my mental health, those are all the aspects that I, that I really focus on. Would you say it's a good mindset um, on top of the movement first approach to just focus on just getting stronger? Like obviously not getting too obsessed with the weights, but this, the kind of protective element of strength for injury prevention? 100%. And that's why like if you know me and you follow me on Instagram or anything like that, you know that I'm very much into foam rolling and I'm very much into proper warm-ups. And I find that I always ask people when they come into the gym and they're like, oh, I'm sore here. I'm like, well, how did you warm up? You know, did you warm up? Did you cool down? What's your rehab like? Are you just coming in and throwing plates on? Because I see that happen a lot. And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess I didn't really warm up or I guess I didn't really focus on that. And I'd say that's probably one of the biggest things that I actually teach to people when they come in is how to do a proper warm up and cool down. Yeah, recently I've been following this page on Instagram. It's called a Functional Bodybuilding. This guy, Marcus Philly, he has this cool concept of and not just stretching for his warm-ups, where you're doing like stuff like, like side planks with rotation to work the scapula and like farmer's walks and core stabilization, a lot of very functional ways you can warm up that make it feel like a worker because I know a lot of times people just, they need to get sweaty right away to get in the zone. Whereas if you kind of just do some core stabilization, some light cardio, stuff like that, it's it, you also feel more warm, but you also get a bit of strength element to that as well. I agree. Um, and that's why 
when you're doing those warm-ups, you can actually kind of challenge yourself a little bit more and make it into like you do so much with like a mobility and kind of strengthening aspect as well. So you can kind of combine those two aspects together and you can incorporate it into your workouts as well. And it can definitely be difficult, especially for people who sit all day. They might not know what the best or most beneficial warm-up for them is. And I really advocate about this a lot is kind of learning how your body moves, knowing what moves you want to get better at, and really trying to see, like, just try a bunch of mobility stuff and see what gives you the best, like, feeling or what feels best for your body. For example, like, I mostly focus on my hips and shoulders, but for my warm-ups for, I'll just do, like, a super set of three exercises. So I'll do... A farmer's walk just to get my shoulders and core ready. Then I'll do like a downward dog with some shoulder taps. And then, you know, just a bit of mini band work and some hip circles. And I find I just kind of do that every day. So for me, it's not just like a warm-up that I'm going to do before the workouts. But I'll go to the gym every day just to kind of go through my warm-up routine. Because it keeps me consistent. I just, I remember last winter, I didn't want to go to the gym every day. But I said to myself in the new year, I'm going to go every day. Even if I don't work out, just so I can be in that groove, have the momentum. Even if I just do the warm-up. Yeah, 100%. So I do, I incorporate that kind of in the mornings and evenings, rolling out, stretching, or just taking those days off where I need to. Like, I don't know if it was the same for you, but I, when I was in university, it was like Mondays, you know, squat, Tuesdays, this, like that. I'm totally kind of off with that schedule now. And I'm more about full body, high intensity training, but then also taking the, that time to let my body repair. And also learning a lot more about how my diet kind of comes into play as well. Yeah, for sure. I definitely started with that bro split in first year university. And I really got like, I was sore all the time. It would be like chest, biceps, arms, legs. And then I ended up like having some shoulder injuries and stuff like that. Because it's actually a lot of volume. Like the shoulders, you might not be doing shoulder presses, but you're doing a lot of other stuff. You're doing like your back is using your shoulders. Your squat and deadlift are still using your shoulders. So I found it wasn't the best in terms of recovery. And it kind of gets you obsessed with like, having to annihilate a muscle versus stimulating the muscle to grow and that's something I've really been advocating recently is like the minimum effective volume and kind of playing around and seeing what works for you because you can be on a program and like my clients have programs I have a program too but for me it's more flexible it's what movements I'm trying to get stronger at so for example Monday I did like a upper body was mixed with push and pull it was like moderate volume and the next day I was like oh should I do legs I was like no my back's pretty sore so I just did some cardio so I find like a big thing for long-term success for me has been kind of auto-regulating my training schedule but still sticking to a generalized program yeah I, I agree 100% so coming back to the, the foam rolling I know there's a lot of controversy around it like I find it beneficial but you get a lot of people who hate on it when really is like I think we should focus more on promoting ways it can work instead of trying to zombie people into believing that it can't work because there's a lot of benefits to it like you get increased blood flow you can help promote relaxation the parasympathetic nervous system stuff like that so I think like there's definitely a, a room for it for everyone in their lifestyle well I, I don't know who's hating on foam rolling maybe because I'm only talking positive about it but when I explain foam rolling to people, I explain it in an aspect that it's it's different from static stretching. It's different from dynamic stretching where you're not necessarily pulling or stretching the muscle and increasing the length. And that is why it is just as good as dynamic stretching, if not superior to dynamic stretching prior to a workout because you're not impeding any strength or power. You're just increasing your range of motion bringing blood flow to the muscle, increasing flexibility around the area. And 
you can still do a power lift, you can still do a deadlift, you can still do all those things and it's not going to be impeding that. And they've actually done a lot, a lot of research on that and there is a lot of really amazing benefits to it and it's something that people can do at home. So it's just really accessible. It's a lot more accessible than other things and I find that even for myself it's a little bit more entertaining than just sitting and doing stretching. Yeah, not everyone can afford to go to a sports therapist every week to do their foam rolling. You gotta take a more active approach into your healthcare. One hundred percent. And you see all the athletes that are on the sidelines; they all have rollers. It's a huge aspect of sport training is taking care of your body. Yeah, and it also comes back to, and it also comes back to taking that active approach into your healthcare, not really you know like beating up your muscles same with foam rolling you want to have that same sort of mindset that you don't need to have to annihilate your muscles you just do 10 20 30 seconds and see how you feel from there exactly and you want to be doing about at least 60 seconds to a minute and a half or maybe two minutes on each muscle so when they've done studies with foam rolling they've actually looked at the time that it where the benefits are coming in and the benefits are really are for about 60 seconds to a minute. You have to go nice and slow. You have to do deep breathing. You really need to relax and kind of find those your own trigger points and target them to feel those benefits. Yeah, and especially too, like you'll see a lot of people going fast on it. But one thing I'm really a fan of is the main area I foam roll is my lats. But I'll kind of be more active. Like I'll lie on the side for a minute. Then I'll kind of roll back and forth, see how that feels. Then I'll start moving my shoulder. That way I get a bit more activity and a bit more involved with the foam rolling. Because sometimes you can actually, if, you can, if you're doing it wrong, you can injure yourself. Like if you just roll your quad or your calf for like way too long. Like in, people are obsessed with like releasing those knots. But sometimes they're there for stability and they can't be released right away so people will just go on and on and beat it up at it when really you just got to try to think of the other side like maybe it's beneficial that you have some tension yeah exactly and when you feel when you're on the roller you can really feel and compare different sides you can um, it's kind of your self-directed massage so someone else that is giving you a massage they may not feel exactly where you're tight or where you need it and that's when you can kind of direct your own rehabilitation yourself. Now there's two sides to this next point I'm going to bring up. Like A lot of people say you don't need to stretch after workout because your muscles are act get actively getting stretched in the process, which I agree, agree with to an extent. You're only really stretching up to your active range of motion, but if you have some like nagging areas that need to be stretched or you just kind of, a lot of people have like a big rush after workout. So I find sometimes, especially if you're training at night, it's actually good to even do like even just five, two to five, ten minutes, whatever stretching can help you. I wouldn't necessarily, it doesn't always improve soreness, but it definitely if you do like a heavy leg day and you do some stretches afterwards, you'll definitely walk out of there a lot easier than you would if you just kind of go to the change room and leave. 100% and I think that doing those stretches is important and it's kind of neglected. I definitely focus a little bit more on my warm-up than my cool-down usually because I'm kind of rushing out the gym afterwards but for me recovery is a lot more than just what I do in the gym and especially from a naturopathic perspective that's when we can kind of jump into um, sleep, diet, um, you know our kind of physiological mechanisms for how we're recovering and how we can support those so I'd say that is kind of more of my approach to that sleep sleep is a really big one so how why is sleep important for like you know 
someone who's desk bound, someone who maybe wants to focus more on their nutrition, you know, they're not moving as much, maybe they see themselves gaining a bit of weight, like, what, how, why is it so important? Because people just neglect it, like, I have clients too, I'm like, like, okay, you're training at six in the morning, five days a week, but you're also sleeping five hours, how about instead you train three days a week, and you maybe sleep five hours twice a week, and sleep seven hours the other days? Yeah, sleep is definitely the number one thing that I would target if I'm working with someone that is struggling with weight loss or struggling with energy or just overall any sort of issues you can kind of trace back to their sleep. So what's interesting is that when in the realm of nutrition, sleep can actually be correlated with kind of cravings as well. So lack of sleep and sleep sleep deprivation has actually been studied to show that it affects the, the choices and the cravings that we make for food. So in a nurse's help study, they found that decreased sleep was associated with weight gain. And they found that it, the hunger hormone ghrelin uh, was higher and the hormone leptin, which helps to keep you thin, leptin thin, that's how I remember it. Um, leptin was decreased, ghrelin was increased. So these physiological mechanisms that when you're lacking sleep, you're actually craving those high-carb foods. You're craving that quick fix. You're craving the fries. Those things can all be traced back to your sleep. Yeah, it seems like lack of sleep can really affect your ability to, to focus on the big picture with nutrition is like delayed gratification and like building that willpower to say no to, to things like that. And everyone's had it, you know, those days you go out drinking and then you feel really bad and you just want carbs the next day. But if you... And then people who, they'll feel stronger week to week or they'll feel their, their strength fluctuates a lot. You really got to look at the sleep because you can only focus on what you can control. Like you, if you can control those things, your nutrition better and your sleep better, then it's more easy to, to really predict how you're going to feel like day to day. Like if your energy flux, fluctuates a lot and you just drink a lot of coffee, it's hard to really work with your body. You're kind of working against it, right? I agree completely. And I think people also forget that sleep is the time that our body actually physiologically is repairing muscle tissues it's releasing growth hormones so if you're you can train in the gym all you want but if you're not sleeping your body isn't going to have the time to release the hormones to be able to repair your muscle tissue to um, facilitate hormone synthesis and basically just recover all of the muscles and the tissues that it needs and also for mental health as well and I find a lot of times too, like especially like the desk bound people who go to the gym after work, they just go home, you know, they cook dinner and they still need some time to, you know, down regulate and relax and just maybe even just watch TV, but they don't really, and this can kind of make it hard to get good quality sleep because if you get overly stimulated, especially you get home from the gym at let's say nine, you got to sleep around 10, 30, 11 to be up at six to get work for eight, for example, like it can be hard. So really comes down to maybe, what would you like recommend for that kind of situation? So the like kind of the first line therapy to look at someone's sleep is starting off with sleep hygiene basics. Sleep hygiene just means that you are making sure that the bedroom and your bed is a place that is just for sleeping. So you're looking at the environment, how much light, are you using your phone at night, is there a lot of noise, are you doing work or eating in your bed, like your bed is for sleep and it's for sex and that is it and um, other factors that you are you know what you're doing what you're doing in your bedroom is it cluttered can you do you feel like your bedroom is a place of relaxation so that's kind of like 
the number one thing. And then we can kind of look into what is it, where is it in your sleep cycle? So are you having trouble falling asleep? Are you waking up throughout the night? Are you, you know, are you hot and cold? Like what is it about your sleep that is being impeded and where can we um, approach that and how can we approach that? And it does have a lot to do with stress for sure because if someone has anxiety or is stressed, their mind is going to be racing. So they're not going to have, they're not going to be able to fall asleep right away. So we can kind of tackle that with mindfulness techniques, um, different supplements, different um, remedies that you can use to kind of help calm the brain and kind of get you more into that relaxed state before going to bed. And what about having like a more consistent schedule, right? Trying to like go to sleep at the same times of every week. Would that help someone like stay asleep longer? 100%. That's something I, I missed mentioning when I was talking about the sleep hygiene is having a consistent schedule is huge. So you want to try and go to bed and wake up at the same time every day as much as possible. It's going to really train your body and your circadian rhythms to be able to stay consistent. Yeah, I know a lot of people, you know, they just like to play on their phone before bed and send some messages and watch some videos. I mean, that's good, and, and, it, if, and you can have the night mode on your phone, and you can wear those glasses, but really I find it's, it can still impede your sleep because it can get you, like, like you said, like overthinking and overanalyzing things when you're trying to clear your mind towards the end of the night. So I find, like, a big thing and also difficult for most people just to kind of put your phone not in your room and that's really hard like I have this my friend uh, John Goodman he's a of the personal trainer development center and he has this rule with his wife when they walk in the house they leave the phone by the front door it charges there and they don't use it until they leave the house so that's definitely like a very serious way to do it but just try to like just keep it out of sight you know like try to work on a routine where you send your last messages at a certain time and your phone goes on like nighttime mode etc. 100%. And I'm, I need to get better at that for sure. Oh, yeah, we all do. We all do. And I'm, I'm totally, you know, going to be honest and admitting that that's something I need to improve on as well. But also eating. I feel like when you're on your phone, I think that the mindfulness of eating is something that is somewhat neglected as well. We need to, our body needs to be focusing on the food are we're already like even just when we smell food, see food, our body makes those physiological changes to prepare ourselves for digestion. If we're distracted, you're at your desk, you're like, you know, you're stressed and then you're just like, okay, I'm just going to eat lunch really quickly. Your digestion is totally not going to be as effective as if you were able to sit down, separate yourself from your work, take a couple deep breaths and actually enjoy your meal and eat slowly. So there's a lot of different techniques in terms of mindfulness with that, with sleep and also on your phone when you're trying to eat as well. Yeah, for sure. And I find eating is such a, an emotional experience. And if you're like kind of eating, watching TV, trying to like multitask and do work, you're not going to really like take those times to enjoy the bites, chew nice and slowly and really like enjoy the, the palate of the food. Whereas if you actually just sit down and focus on one thing at a time, because we're not really designed to multitask. Like if you know you have an awesome like like sandwich or, or a salad in front of you, but you're doing your computer work, you're just kind of going to kind of eat it and be like, oh, I'm still hungry when if you know just kind of enjoy the experience it actually like it'll be more satiating yes 100 percent. so i think i want to get into sport nutrition and talking about 
a little about how we can improve the performance in the gym and how we can increase our muscle protein synthesis through our diet strategies. Is that something you're ready to chat about now? Yeah, for sure. So we already talked about foam rolling. So what would be like the next thing for improving your performance on top of nutrition? Is it like personalizing your nutrition for your body or would you recommend people have a different approach to get started? It's definitely personalized. So from a naturopathic perspective, all diets are very, very individualized because everyone has different sensitivities. Everyone has different preferences. I, I definitely am not the type of person to say, oh, this diet is good for everyone. Unless it's the Mediterranean diet because that is a diet that I yeah. can get behind for pretty much everyone. But people have sensitivities and preferences and vegetarian, vegan. And so you, can, you, have to, you really have to cater it to individuals. But when you're looking at eating for the gym, you kind of have to also look at two areas. So are you looking to increase your muscle mass and are you looking for something to help enhance your performance? So diet-wise, in terms of increasing your muscle mass or muscle protein synthesis and helping with recovery, I really want to talk about protein. And I know that protein is probably drilled into people's heads because they're like, okay, I'm starting to go to the gym, so now I need protein. But it's true, you do need protein. But what's interesting is the research has gone from, you know, everyone just like chugging a big protein shake after their workout to actually indicating that you can have the most gain in muscle protein synthesis if you break up your protein intake throughout the day. So it's actually better to have your protein intake between every three to four hours at about 0.25 to 0.4 grams per kilogram per dose. So you're getting a bit of protein in each meal. And even though it's not, you're still going to have protein around your workout, but having it throughout the day is so, so important. And also another thing, especially for people who are less active throughout the day and they're, they're working at a desk or in like a, a very slow environment, having protein throughout the day is actually going to keep you more full than if you just kind of have some carbs. Like protein has like a lot of times like lean protein will have some dietary fat in there and those two together can keep you really full whereas if it's four o'clock and you just go and get like a donut and a coffee you're really just going to be hungrier than if you know chose like a smart protein source because it's really it's the most filling in my opinion throughout the day to eat it is the most filling and when you go into the physiological effect of in in ingesting protein it has a higher thermic effect so your body has to work a little bit harder it's way more satiating it does not induce the same um, spikes in your blood sugar levels so you're gonna have more of a consistent flow throughout the day so when they looked at different studies for people that skip breakfast or eat breakfast they found that when someone had like a egg breakfast and um, so high quality protein, it can increase your fullness and it in reduce the lunchtime energy intake. So people that are not having breakfast, but then having like a really like heavy full lunch, if you have breakfast, you can kind of reduce that intake throughout the day and just have it more consistent. I find it for people, especially beginning their fitness journey and especially getting them oriented in nutrition and advocating to eat more protein, I find it's the thing my clients and even my friends have the most trouble with. They're like, oh, it's so hard to get enough protein in when really it's not so hard to get 100 or 150 grams in. A lot of times if you go out to a restaurant, it's really difficult because they're not going to give you a lot of protein. Most of it's just not like carbs and fats and little fillers there. 
So a lot of times it comes to, you know, like prepping your own food and really starting to understand portion sizes and and be smart with the things you eat on the go. Like there's it's really easy like to eat 150 grams of protein for like maybe the average male 150 pounds or so. Like 8 ounces of chicken, a chicken breast is like 90 grams of protein. And you can just have some yogurt and like some eggs and some egg whites. And it's really it's and if you break up that ounce of chicken, you can have that like th four ounces like three times a day, etc. or whatever. Or and you can even have like twelve ounces, and that'll give you a whole hundred grams. And it's really that's like just two chicken breasts. So I think um, learning to kind of understand portion sizes is a big picture there too. Definitely, definitely portion sizes. But going back to when you have it evenly distributed throughout the day your muscle protein synthesis is actually up to 25% greater when you distribute it. And you can, it doesn't have to be a chicken breast in the morning, right? We are in the kind of era where plant-based diets are becoming a lot bigger. So having tofu, chickpeas, lentils, you can have plant-based proteins throughout the day and you're going to get a lot of the same benefits from that as well. When it comes to plant-based protein, you just want to make sure that you, it's a well-absorbed form in the body. You're putting some vitamin C in to help with the iron absorption. And you are being aware of how much you're actually getting. I always recommend for people, I don't recommend like counting all your macros and everything, but I recommend with protein, especially with athletes or people that are getting into the gym, just to figure out what your reference range is. So the R, the recommended daily allowance or RDA in Canada is 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight for protein. So that is the absolute minimum intake that it requires, that you are required to not be excreting protein from your body, to be in a net positive nitrogen balance. But really, the studies and everything is kind of indicated, especially for active adults, that you want to be a minimum 1.2 to 1.6 grams per kilogram per day. Most adults, most people, especially women or, or people maybe that are at their desk all day and they're um, kind of eating just high carb meals, they're not hitting those values. They're not getting to that protein and that's really going to impede the muscle gains and what you're looking to do when you're going when you start going to the gym. So you really have to start with that. Just start tracking, okay, how much protein am I getting in my breakfast, lunch, dinner, throughout my snacks throughout the day, and actually see if you're reaching that target based on your body weight. Yeah, and you don't have to track forever. It can just help you be more mindful long term, especially when you go out to you kind of stick to your normal, right? You try to find what would be around your normal instead of choosing that that high carb meal. So what would that 25% increase in protein synthesis, like what would that look like for someone? Obviously, like there's no exact picture of what it looks like, but does that mean they're going to they're gonna build more muscle? Does that mean they're going to recover faster? Does that mean they're going to have more energy? Yeah, so it would definitely mean that they have more energy throughout the day when they have their protein evenly distributed, but it also, when they actually looked at the amount of muscle that was built in controls versus someone that was uh, eating evenly distributed, that person did have more muscle hypertrophy and greater muscle gains. Uh, one thing I would really like to mention is that it's not just about the quantity, it's about the quality. And when you're looking at intakes of protein for sport nutrition or for the gym or exercise, whatever activity you're doing, the one correlation between muscle protein synthesis and protein quality is the leucine content. So leucine content is one of the one amino acid that's been consistently correlated with increased 
muscle protein synthesis. So that is why when they look at, they do all the studies over and over again, whey protein kind of always comes out on top because it's highest in leucine content. Casein, soy, plant-based proteins are also great, but you want to be making sure that you're getting that high leucine content because that's what's actually going to be inducing muscle protein synthesis. But also when I, and that's why I mentioned when I was talking about plant-based proteins, you want to get a full array of the essential amino acids. Your body can't build muscle, you, your body can't um, repair the muscle if it doesn't have the essential amino acids because it needs those essential amino acids as the building blocks. And if it's missing one or two, you're not going to get the same gains in strength. Yeah, and there's definitely, it's definitely possible, like you'll see a lot of like vegan bodybuilders out there on Instagram as well. Like there, I know there's, there's a lot of guys out there, I don't, can't name anyone specifically off the top of my head, but it's definitely possible to you know, find a good balance, but also find, especially for um, supplementation helps a lot for people who are in that vegetarian group. Like you can have a lot of like, and not necessarily whey protein, like maybe if you have dairy, but there's definitely a lot of ways you can still um, incorporate those whole sources of essential amino acids. 100, yeah, 100%. I think that uh, brown rice protein really comes out on top. When you're looking at the protein digestibility score, um, basically this is assessing the ability of a protein source to support skeletal muscle metabolism. So you have milk, whey, eggs, and then soy protein, uh, rice protein, pea protein are all really great sources. And then you can look into sources like uh, lentils, quinoa, black beans. These are kind of the highest um, plant-based sources of those percentage of essential amino acids. So if you are vegan or vegetarian, you want to make sure that those are the sources that you're getting. Also spirulina. I discovered that spirulina has a very high percentage of essential amino acids and leucine content. Yeah, I've heard about that one too. It's quite interesting. I know they have in a lot of those like whole food like powders and shakes you can buy now because those the supplements are really coming together recently. But it's also good to you know focus on those whole foods like you mentioned because that's really gonna provide you a lot more nutrients than if you have like I know a lot of people they'll they'll take supplements with like synthetic vitamin A, vitamin B, etc., vitamin C, all those things. But it's really good to focus on the whole foods for your diet. And, you know, a lot of times when I talk with my other friends who work out, they're like, yo, David, like, I didn't eat well last week. My family was in town. And, you know, I just had like low energy. Like, after you have like, I find some skin in the fitness game, you actually feel like, you feel like shit if you eat bad food. Like, you actually, it's not that like, it's obviously it's better to eat healthy, but you just, you don't feel good when you don't eat like healthy whole foods. Yeah, and I think going what you were saying, a lot of people are probably asking like, oh, what supplement should I take? They'll go to a, you know, Popeyes or wherever and they'll be like, okay, I want something to build muscle. And we really just want to kind of focus on the things that have actually been researched to be effective and not just like promoting like, oh, I'm going to take this, it's going to help fat burn, whatever. So creatine is definitely... Definitely the top supplement if you're looking for something to help um, build muscle and improve your muscle strength and performance in the gym. And also HMB, beta-hydroxymethylbutyrate, which is a metabolite of leucine. And this is really especially good for people that are just starting or untrained individuals and they find, or someone who is older, they find that it really helps to increase muscle protein synthesis. Um, so those are kind of the two big ones, but I'm definitely not an advocate of just supplementing, but 
like you said, sticking to the whole foods. Um, and then maybe if you're looking for something to kind of enhance, you know, your energy and your performance and maybe you're hitting a plateau, that's maybe where I would kind of stick into starting a creatine or beta alanine, something like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Like, I remember when I first started, I'd go to Popeye's and be like, yo, guys, I want to get jacked. What should I take? So they're like, oh, you need omegas and you need fat burners and you need all this, all this junk. And, of course, like, I bought it. I didn't know any better. But then you – and then you – and then after I've been in the fitness industry longer and I've been working longer, I'm just like, eh, forget this stuff. Like, I, I really don't take much these days. Like, I just, you know, focus on my food re recently because I find it's a lot of people when they get started, like, you, you complicate things. Like, you got to, like, like you got to change your lifestyle. You got to do your workouts. You got to do some stretching. You got to you gotta eat better. You got to sleep better. But really just focusing on one thing at a time and just removing maybe that obsession with taking supplements that aren't effective and just kind of focusing on more and just being consistent with your sleep, your workouts, and your, your nutrition. Yeah, I mean, I only mentioned those supplements because I really wanted people to know what kind of the top one was. Yeah, if creatine they... is definitely like the most researched and most effective supplement of all time. That's hands down. Like there was some controversy on people like, oh, it's bad for your liver, but really none of the studies actually support that. It's definitely recommended. Yeah, exactly. So just for the people out there that are like, oh, like, well, what would be the one thing or what would be um, that for sure? And then, you know, learning how to use caffeine and learning how to use protein to also enhance your, your workouts as well um, and timing it right. So I want to shift the conversation a little bit to focus on what you're doing in your career. So where do you like? What do you want to do long term? Obviously, you're you're the background in like naturopathic medicine, health, fitness, and nutrition. Like, what is your goal in terms of helping people and and then especially in the online space? I know you've got your your online platform started. Yeah. So my goal is really to educate people on what naturopathic medicine is and how it can really enhance their performance and be be a really useful tool in the field of sports medicine because it's so much more than just treatment and um, focusing on one aspect. It's basically full full body and it's very much research supported. And I really want to work with like people like David who is going to be going to physio school in the fall and you know get those a physiotherapist perspective you know, work with different medical professionals. We do a lot of referrals and we do a lot of work with other people that are in the health field. And I think in the future, it's very much going to be about collaborative health. And you see this all, so much more now. There's, there isn't just one chiro center anymore. It's a chiro, it's an acupuncture, it's a physio. And naturopathic medicine should be a part of that because we can address the digestion aspect. We can address the sleep. We can address the stress. Those are all aspects that contribute to someone's, how they're feeling physically. So you, your physiotherapist will help you with your, how you're feeling and it'll, he'll adjust, um, you know, your, posture and everything like that and give you all the strength exercises but if your stress levels are still not good if your digestibility and what your diet is is not good either um, your sleep all those aspects are really really going to come into play with how you're able to progress and recover yeah I feel like the collaborative approach is the way to go because especially like there's no one person who knows it all, right? Even your family doctor didn't spend that much time in med school learning about like like exercise selection and like how the muscles work. Obviously, they have like a general background, but it's good to you know be able to 
go to your doctor and be able to go to your maybe your massage therapist and physiotherapist and have a more collaborative approach because really when you're working together it's a more bigger picture and again like you're saying it's more holistic like treating the body from the inside and the outside like maybe like incorporating stuff like yoga into that as well not just focusing on just one thing but really working together in the long term that's where I see like the modern like physiotherapy way of things like a lot of times would just be you know like go on your treatment bed and just do these exercises but really like it's evolving into oh you're doing this that's great you're not in pain anymore now long term let's get you into a routine that you can sustain this on your own exactly and it's all about long-term sustainability it's all about preventative health it's all about promoting something in someone's life that's going to last and going to be sustainable long term and also I find that a lot of the time it's educating people on you know there's so much out there that they're like okay so like I need to do this diet or I'm going to need to go buy this now because I heard this was really good and I'm going to drink celery juice every day (laughs) and all that and a lot of the time they come to us and we're like no (laughs) just scrap all that let's work with the basics let's work with your diet let's work with your lifestyle let's figure out where we can kind of tweak things starting slow so we can kind of work work our way very kind of slowly but like actually like continuous and very sustainable and we can do the research into their supplements and the things that they're taking and say actually that's not that effective actually we don't that's not at the therapeutic dose that you need so we we really can help people in that aspect as well to maybe take off some of that stress that they feel when they're getting so many so much information from so many different areas and they're like what do I do with it yeah for sure it can definitely be overwhelming so it's good to have someone like a naturopath who has a lot of perspective in the game and you also bring up a very interesting point you mentioned like that you guys help with digestion I find that such a big thing like not everyone can eat like like some veg, there's a lot of vegetables I can't eat that I just can't digest very well. And then there recently, I've been hearing a lot of talk about how gut health can affect mental health. And is that something you know a little bit about? That's something I know a little bit about. But actually, like my father is a pharmacist who actually just wrote a book on the gut brain connection. So his name is Ken McLeod, and he is my one he is my inspiration for everything that I'm doing now in my life because he was the reason that I got into this field and he knew about this 30 40 years ago because he actually formulated a probiotic and um, has done a lot of research into the gut brain connection and a lot of times people with mental health conditions or anyone who's struggling with any mental health there is a correlation with their gut. There is a correlation with their past medical history. So there's definitely, definitely a correlation with digestion and brain health. And I look forward to reading that book um, when it comes out. And you can find more information at Nutrichem.com. But also, digestion is not just about that. It's also about skin. It's also about how you feel and energy throughout the day. So I think bringing it back to sports nutrition and eating healthy at work, I always ask people to either track their diet and just figure out how they're feeling throughout the day and write that down because you can track a lot of those like low energy days, low fatigue days. You can track a lot of that back to your diet and um, how you're processing the foods that you're eating. 
And I find that's good to get into a routine because then I, and you write those things down and you can kind of predict when you're going to have energy because that's really my long-term mindset for fitness and for life is like, what am I going to be doing? I wake up, I'm like, am I active this morning? Maybe I won't eat um, as dense of a breakfast or if I'm going to be, say, working on an evening. Okay, I'm going to time my food around so I'm not digesting too much right by my workout, but I'm going to have my energy peak at that time. And I find that's definitely long-term so you can kind of feel consistent day to day. Yeah, and your digestion, it, it's going to evolve, it's going to change, and we in North America do have more of that standard American diet that does not promote fermentation in the gut and does not kind of have the healthiest gut microbiome, but you can change that. You know, your gut is always evolving. You can change that. We can work on your diet and work on ways to improve your gut microbiome and improve your digestion. Yeah, definitely for sure that we definitely have to talk more in another episode once the book comes out on gut health. And could you just let the followers know where they can find you on social media and how they can stay connected and any last remarks or advice? So you can find me on Instagram at so.health.fee because my name is Sophie and then there's a health in the middle. Um, so last remarks would just be if you're getting into fitness or if you've been into fitness for a long time, not to stress too hard about your diet and really think more long-term health and really think more about how you're feeling rather than the physical aspect of it. And you can you can message me on Instagram or you can come see me in the clinic at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine or you can book a nutrition appointment with me here at the University of Toronto. So those are options if you do want to look a little bit more into your diet and you do want to make some tweaks and we can work together. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us on the Desk Mount Therapy Podcast. Thank you.